Wednesday, February 16th, 2022. This is Messiah Matters number 375. I'm back from vacation and ready to rock. My name is Caleb Egg. I'm Rob Vanoff. I'm always rocking. <laughs> always ready to rock. Yes. It's been two weeks, bro. Okay, I have to, I have to tell you. Oh, please tell me. So uh, a brother went to be with the Lord to about two weeks ago. And uh, he loved rock and roll air guitar. He didn't play guitar. But he played air guitar. So, so uh, the memorial service was at a, a Baptist church. Yeah. And uh, I at the memorial service, I played Amazing Grace. <clears throat> but you did it on with, electric with guitar. My, uh, with my Ibanez Jim uh, Jr. Yeah, you did. Um, so imagine Jimi Hendrix at Woodstock yes. doing uh, the, doing the Star Anthem. Spangled Banner, of course. Star Spangled, but uh, but Amazing Grace. And yes. there was a lot of the older people were wondering what the what heck was happening. And then the younger people, single tears <laughs> running down the cheeks. <laughs> <laughs> nice. <laughs> right on, man. That's awesome. Have you seen the uh, National Air Guitar Competitions? Your story reminds me I did me not that. know there's such a thing. <clears throat> they're on ESPN three or something like that. Maybe ESPN five, but there it's a thing. <clears throat> it's a real thing. All right. Welcome back everybody. It's been two weeks, two whole weeks that we've been off. Well, it's actually been three weeks. It's been three weeks since we've since been off. Since our last show. But two shows we missed. And, uh, yeah, a lot has happened. How have you been? What have you been up to in the past three weeks there, Mr. Van Hoff? Well, you know, we're just uh, landing the airplane, like I say, for the winter quarter. Yeah. And uh, so we kind of went over that hump and we're kind of coming down, um, which is really cool. My head's in Galatians a lot because we're reading my second year Greek classes. We're reading through all of Galatians. And uh, the conversations are really great. Um, so my head space has been in that a lot, but also I'm looking, I, I was mentioned earlier, I'm looking through like, do I have some stuff I want to maybe present at SPL or submit nice. to SPL, but I haven't decided yet. It's in Denver this fall. In the chat room, Clayton says, what do you mean he went to be with the Lord? Do you believe you go right to heaven when you die to be absent from absent the body, the body is... is to be present with Christ and Today, you will be with me in paradise. So, there's your answer. I don't have to answer that. Rob doesn't have to answer that. We'll let, we'll let the Word of God answer that one. Okay. Um, yeah, I've been in a very weird headspace, uh, on, starting on vacation and then out of it. I started reading some books that went in a totally different direction from my normal line of theological thought. Uh-oh, dangerous. And I know. Well, no, it's not it's not heretical doctrine. I'm I'm currently reading a Baptist uh, a Baptist uh, professor. So I'm I'm right in the place I'm right in the place I like to be. But uh, I uh, it's just not in my normal vein of theology, which is interesting. So maybe you'll hear some stuff in the next couple of weeks coming up. All right. Um well, I want to thank everyone who is in the chat room. I also want to bring our producers up. Does anybody notice that I have a new camera angle? I thought everybody would in the chat room would be crying foul at this point. Um, Looks our, great. Thank you. You too. Our producers are at the bottom of the screen. We do appreciate all of our producers, and uh, they are really uh, helpful in keeping this show going. And so we are blessed to have them, every single one of them. And uh, yeah. Uh, I will also give you the ability to the ways that you can contact us here in just a few seconds to so get your piece of paper and pen out so that you can jot it down or just remember it through our, I still haven't fixed that color problem on our producers anyway, um, or just listen to the jingle, which we'll play right now. Messiah Matters wants to hear from you. Leave us a comment, a question or two. Call 253-465-3205. That's right. That's our phone number. And I don't know. Oh, I know why. I do know why. Hey, check this out. All of our stuff is way too small, just like our intro was. And the reason why is because I updated this uh, this system. Okay, I'll fix that all later. So um, just, yeah, uh, seehagatorresource.com. That's the other way. Okay. 
Let's uh, let's dive into some topics. What do you say? Sounds like a fun idea. One highway walker writes this onto our uh, one of our YouTube videos. They say, "What I heard Caleb and Rob say last week." Now, keep in mind, this is what four weeks ago. <clears throat> was that one should follow their congregational leader regarding drinking alcohol, regardless of scripture, saying that you can, and also that wine in ancient days was only about 3% and not very intoxicating. There was pushback with scripture showing that people did get drunk. Okay, let's stop right there. Uh, One highway walker did not fully understand my point about congregational leaders and drinking alcohol. My point is, is that if you are in a, if you go to a congregation, and that congregation says, if you are going to drink alcohol, you, we believe that drinking alcohol is against the Bible. And if you drink alcohol, you're not going to be part of us. In other words, we, we will disassociate with people who, who consume alcohol. My point there is, if that's what you're signing up for, then stand by it. If you don't want to uphold that, then, then go find a different community. But if you're going to be part of a community that says drinking alcohol is uh, is means for a disassociation with us, then you know what you're signing up for and adhere to that. Don't go home and, and uh, kick back a six pack just because you're in private. That's my point. Uh, if you're going to be part of a, a congregation, yeah, you're, not, you're not doing your you're not doing anybody any favors by living one way, like secretly. You know, first of all, that's that's a problem, right? Like to you know to have uh, some sort of secret thing you do that is expressly, you know, uh, uh, opposing what the community that you call your community is upholding. That's or that's, or even that if has nothing to do with alcohol. That has that's a heart issue. Or if you have a friend over who is not part of your community and is not maybe religious or something like that, and you kick back a couple of cold ones with him, and then I mean, what happens then? Then he leaves and he finds out that you're in a community that says you're not allowed, that they think that drinking. It just there's a lot of problems that go along with that. Now, if you're in a community that says we don't think that drinking is great, you shouldn't do it. But that's not means of excommunication. If you want to have a glass of wine on Friday night, that's up to you. But my point is, is that if you're in a community that are teetotalers and they make that known and that's part of, of their of their theological understanding, it's just like that, you know, it's the same I, I use. I think I already use this analogy, but it's the same for me. If uh, if a community is going to sell, uh, count the Omer differently, I count according to the standard, uh, the standard calendar, the standard counting that, that uh, the majority of Israel uses today. And. I know a lot of people who count according to the what is known as the Sadducean counting, whether it's actually actually Sadducean or not. That's a different matter. And so they start counting after the Sabbath day, the the weekly Sabbath day during Passover, which means that they're off compared to me. But if I sign up with a community that is going to count that way, do I just say no no i come and i count with them i might celebrate shavuot on the day that i think it's supposed to be but i'm still going to come and be a part of the community and i'm going to do things according to the way the community has laid out this is going to become a a theme here in a few minutes because we're also going to talk about um communities as well in just a minute let's keep going with this so anyway i think that there is a little bit of a misunderstanding i'm not saying that if you're if your pastor says i don't drink alcohol and I'm not sure that the by I don't think that the by in the Bible Jesus drank alcohol. Okay, that's one thing. That's that's for your pastor to say. It's a different thing if you if you come into a community. It's also a different thing if you're part of a community and all of a sudden everybody says, you know what, we're going to stop drinking alcohol. No one's allowed to drink alcohol anymore. Okay, now they're roping you into something that is not exactly it hasn't been uh, brought out from the beginning. Does that make sense? Am I making sense? It makes sense to me. I'm hearing myself and it makes sense. Anyway. At this time, you are making sense. <laughs> I'll, I'll give you a rating of 89%. Thank right? you very much. Okay, let's keep By going with this Caleb comment. making sense meter. Thank you. Uh, let's keep going with this comment. This week, they seem surprised about the question of whether you can drink or not per scripture. Um, we, I, yeah, I was surprised because I think that uh, it's pretty obvious that scripture, in, within scripture, drinking alcohol is part of 
of drinking. By the way, I, I thought of something else in, in this in this conversation. Drink, drinking alcohol is part of drinking. Well, so, no, I'm sorry. Uh, is that what I said? Well, drinking part of uh, drinking alcohol is part of the Bible. That's what I meant to say. Drinking alcohol well, and, is and, part. And Israel was known for wine production. I mean, they. Yeah. I mean, like. Yeah. Anyway, okay. So here's the other thing. You know, uh, going back to that conversation that we had, and somebody said new wine, uh, new wine is non-alcoholic. Now, I forgot to look this up. I, I was busy this morning trying to make sure that I had everything correct, which nothing, it still didn't come out right. Um, in Acts, in Acts 2, doesn't it say they thought that they were drunk on new wine? Oh, Acts chapter 2? Yeah. Acts 2. Let's take a look here. Because it says that they thought that they were drunk, and I'm almost, po yeah. Uh, verse 13, others mocking said they are filled with new wine. So is, I mean, I wonder how people would take that, that take the, what was going on with the, uh, with the apostles in Acts two, why did people assume that they were, they were drinking new wine? Let's see if it says that in the Greek. Um, it's uh, it's glucose. It's where we get the word sugar. But I don't know if the word new is there. Oh, no. There's it's no not. word for new. All right. I was wrong. I was going on my uh, English trans translation. I apologize. But it's a, it is uh, sweet, the idea of sweet. But that doesn't mean it's not alcoholic. I mean, why would you... What, yeah, but I, I what, guess my what, what, what it's an idiot to be full of whatever this wine is. Let's just say it's grape. Uh, they're full of grape juice. Right. It doesn't make any sense. Is that, right. Is that like so obvious? So it, once again, this just proves the, the acts and then, to and then the, what he says. These men are not drunk, as you would suppose, as you suppose in verse 15. So. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway, let's keep going with this. comment. This is where I find they get confusing. They have done this before regarding Calvinism. What, gotten confusing? Now that I would admit. <laughs> this is going to be another theme, by the way. Uh, yeah, I, I, I admit that we've been confusing before. Of course, we can all uh, misspeak or change our position on something we once believed. That's not what we've done. I was up. I, what I had done is scrolled to since Caleb was trying to do technical troubleshooting. I was just like skimming down through the top, so I didn't see the updated. <laughs> I'm new to this. Okay. <laughs> I know. Was, okay. So someone you, asked um, about studying the Tanya, and I I talked a little. I bit I think about they got that. you up until there. I thought they were actually on oh. track with you on that. Oh, okay. Uh, okay. Maybe not. Anyway, thanks, thanks for everybody for the comments and. Uh... Okay, let's let's try to get back to where we were. I apologize. <laughs> Good gracious. Love is bigger. Says she. She. She failed mouth reading one on one. Okay, so where were we? Let's see if we can get back into this conversation because well, I wait, wait, Michael Mulvin. He says you've got to play the children going yay audio clip. I don't have. I can't because my soundboard's down right now. Oh. Oh, <laughs> I'm trying. I it's I need an I desperately need a new computer. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me at all if this thing crashes again. I'm getting critical crash errors like at least twice a day at this point. And then my computer can't sleep without crashing as well. So it's they say they heard nothing. OK, you want to do the Tanya again? Oh, yeah. I, well, I go back up. Let's see. <clears throat> oh, yeah. Someone asked about the Tanya. So that's. I mean, if you want to study a text in its historical context, there's nothing wrong with reading it in terms of with your historian hat and understanding. But you want to understand, you know, it's it's you know what's going on in 18th century Eastern European Jewish world, you know, between after in, behind, uh, in the wake of the Baal Shem Tov and the split between the Mitnagdim and the Hasidim. And you understand that the Tanya is a document promoting. It's the one of the core documents of Chabad, right? It's the it's, it's like the gospel of if if Chabad Hasidism, if the Lubavitchers had a, a gospel, the Tanya would be it. But it's it 
it's not going to give you any insight into the Bible, <laughs> uh, any more than the Book of Mormon, written also written in the early 1800s, is going to give you insight into the Bible. So if you want to read the Book of Mormon, I would say the same thing. Understand the history, you know, what's going on. Um, this is one thing. Hey, a plug for a spring class. Tim Haig and I co-teach this uh, class called Critical Issues. And one of the things we talk about is the, the various legends of the lost tribes, etc. You know, the the lost tribe legends and that, that the American Indians and that the Indian languages were Hebrew— that is all i think there's almost 150 to 200 years of lore circulating before joseph smith so it's not like joseph smith comes and has a brand new idea he actually takes ideas that were in the air right right and and really does a nice dan brown kind of thing you know uh what's that book that i wrote da vinci he da vinci codes it you know like the book but anyway so so the tanya but I would say learn the Bible better. I would, you know, Yeshua says, you know, we are, what are, what's our obligation? You know, that's what we need to ask. Start from the top. What's our obligation as, as new creations in Christ, in in the in the world that He made, is to seek Him first and His righteousness and all things, and everything else will be added unto that unto us. Um, so, you know, I don't I don't see unless you're deep in a historian geek mode, uh, then I would not bother. And here's another thing. You need to, to really read it. You need to read Aramaic and Hebrew. Because if you read the English translation, now you're just depending on rabbinic translators. And, uh, I mean, look what happens. It, we, we all know the, the problems of translation because we have 50-plus English translations of the Bible. So if you just go to one rabbinic English translation, you're you're hanging your hat on some translator dude who right. did this work for you. So at least with the Book of Mormon, it's in English. <laughs> you're, but you'd want to go to the uh, go to the oldest, you know, the actual publication where it says author Joseph Smith, <laughs> you know, before the prophetic updates. Okay, so uh, let's go back to one highway walker. This is the thing. Okay, this is what I think the person was getting at. That they they think that they're confused on what we're saying about following leaders, and they think that maybe we've flipped on this. Um, and so anyway, I think the first co part of that conversation actually addressed that. But at the end of the conversation, they say, "By the way, following a leader against." a quote unquote leader against scripture is a dangerous path to take. It's not a dangerous path to take. It's, it's a sinful path to take. Everyone in the congregation should be free to speak and discuss what is scriptural and what position the group will agree upon. I kind of agree with this and I kind of don't. It depends who you are. I've had this happen numerous times in the congregation that I co-pastor. We'll have people come in and the very first day that they, that they walk in the doors, they don't know anything about us. They don't know anything about who we are, but they decide that they're going to be the new teacher and leader in the congregation. So they, they start trying to implement all the things that they're going to change in the congregation, all the, th all the way that they want us to do things, all the ways that the prayers need to be changed, all that, you know, di dinner needs to be different. They're going to, you know, it's, it's ridiculous. And how our theology is off. Um, if, that's, if that's the case, shut up and sit down. If you're visiting a congregation, you have no right to tell the people what they need to believe or what they don't. If you don't like their theology, get up and leave. It's that easy. That's the best thing you can do. Don't sit there. You know and what, Napoleon? You can leave. <laughs> exactly. The, the 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 fact of the matter is is that we live in a world where we're, we're able to. We live in in a place where we're able to get up and get out of a congregation if we don't like it. So this notion that we that everyone should have a say in things. No, I don't believe that that's necessarily the case. Congregational leaders are the ones who have put together the congregation. Usually they're under a denomination, and if they're not, then, then uh, they've put together that congregation. They've worked out the theology that they're, they're ascribing to. Now, if you're part of a congregation, and what I mean by that is if you are a member of a congregation and there are theological issues that are coming up and, and uh, the congregation is talking about those theological issues, yes, absolutely, everybody's voice should be heard. I have no problem with that. But uh, oftentimes what tends to happen, especially in these smaller groups, is you have people come in and think that it should be an open forum and an open discussion. And I disagree with that. And another thing that I disagree with is the notion that every, every everybody's voice should be heard in the uh, in the worship service. 
In other words, if you if if you have a disagreement with the theological uh, uh, direction that the leaders are going, then the first thing that needs to happen is you need to go to them individually. Then you take another. Then you go with the congregation. So th- there is a there is a way to do this. It's not that everyone's voice should just be heard and it should just be open discussion. You know what comes when it, when that and I. I know this firsthand. You know what comes when it's just open discussion all the time? Heresy. People decide that they're going to bring, they're going to lug their heresy in and they're going to try to convince everyone else of their, of their heresy. That's what happens. So you could say, you could say like, you know, someone showing up and says, well, the book of Enoch says, or Jubilee says this, like someone, and the Et Sefer Bible that I just paid a hundred bucks for tells me this. Yeah. And it's like, okay. So yeah, we we don't read that here. You know, to 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 me, I and here's the thing. I get it. I I grew up in a congregation. I grew up in two congregations. One of the congregations had had no open discussion time uh, in, in the formal service. There was no there was no conversation. Um, the, the pastors taught and, and, um, there was a worship time. That was it. The other congregation I went to was an open forum. And, uh, while the teaching was going on, while the preaching was going on, people could raise their hands and, and, uh, ask questions. The reason that worked to an extent is because you had a, what I would almost consider a closed group, a large closed group that agreed with each other. And you had trained leaders that were, that were willing to do that. But even then, I, I think that there, I think that there is a time and a place for um, questioning theological belief, and that's not during a worship service. So even there, I, I tend to to uh, wonder if that's really the way that things should happen. I think that that should be reserved more for like what what the Christian Church would call a Sunday school time. But I mean, every congregation is different. But that's up to once again, that's up to the leaders. It's not up to me whether or not how how you or anyone else should should um, do your worship service. Here's here's a, here's a way that it, that I think it could go down. Okay, let's say you know a guy and his family go and they 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 find a local community, and that local community has a membership requirement. I mean, it, not that you have to become a member. Sure. But if you're going to be a member there, um, there are certain things you you're agreeing to. And right. one of those things might be we abstain from alcohol, right. even wine. Okay. Um, and let's say let's say it was me, and I'm coming, and I'm like, well, I I really like, I you know, I I feel like I'm supposed to be here. I I want to grow here. I want to serve here. Um, and but but I really have this conviction that, uh, you know, I want to be able to drink wine on. Friday nights or something. Then what I would do, I would, I would request, I wouldn't just bring that up in the middle of everything. I would request a a meeting with like the elders and I would say, Hey, I, um, I would just make my case. I wouldn't get upset or yell or thump the Bible. I would say, Hey, I'm, you know, this is my predicament. I I really would like to be here. I want to serve. I, you know, I'm good at, I'll clean toilets, I'll vacuum, I'll mow the lawn. Um, and I just, I just want to grow here. I feel like I like the the people and the word of God, I believe is being preached. However, I have this one issue that would, would prevent me from becoming a full member because I, because of this thing. And I would trust that if I really felt like I belonged there, that those elders would, they would probably, okay, we're, we're going to talk about this and we'll get back to you, you know? And if the elders said, you know what, look, um, we, we we've or they, they might interview me, ask me a bunch of questions. They said, "Well, we see that we we don't see any indication that you abuse alcohol. Um, this does seem to be, you know, we we take your word for this. We'd like to just let's let's go a year, you know, let's go a year. You can serve in these capacities, you know, you can do some grounds work or you know, repair work, whatever you want to do to serve. Um, you won't be a member, of course, but you're welcome to come. Other than that, you know." Or they might just say, we're Baptist here, son. (laughs) Now, I don't know what you are, but we're Baptist here. And you can, 
don't let the door hit you where the good <laughs> yeah, Lord exactly. is split. There <laughs> is the exit. Goodbye, sir. Say hi to Johnny Walker on your way out. <laughs> you seed of Satan. Yeah, exactly. I mean, there's um, there are groups that are like that. I'm and, just saying that you don't. You know, we don't have to go in hostile, like ready to draw. Like, you know what I mean? Don't you we, feel we don't... like that's how most uh, people within the Torah movement are, though? The, the, here's my look. I've been in the Torah mo movement for 30. I've never. Yeah. For 30 for the wrong thing. 32 so, years I've been yeah, in the yeah. Torah movement. And one thing that I can say is that there is a significant amount of. I think your word is right. Zeal. And I don't think that that's necessarily a bad thing to have zeal, especially for God. You want to have zeal no, for a, God. Yeah, it's not zeal. For, it's, it's zeal for the. We want to have be zeal and have zeal for the right things. Yeah, like but, Paul but says in what I've what I've encountered in almost every Torah observant group, call it whatever you want, uh, in the United States and in Canada is that there are always people who are we're right. I'm. It's not even we. I'm right. You're wrong. You're an idiot. Even if you agree with me, you're kind of an idiot. I mean, that's kind of the mentality that, you know, it's like people laughing at the at uh, the church or, you know, looking down their nose at the church. They're taking the they're mm. taking the the splinter out of the eye of the people in the church while not realizing that they're walking around with a log in their own eye. And so, I mean, it's unfortunate because I feel like the people in the Torah movement and I'm in that movement. I would consider myself part of the Torah movement. I feel like people in the Torah movement continue to uh, have a chip on their shoulder. And as as humble servants of the Lord, we need to realize that we've all been redeemed from a place of inexcusable sin. I'm not any better than the person down down the street in the you know in whatever church. Um. And even the churches that are heretical, I'm not any better than those people. The Lord has just shown me grace in certain areas. So uh, anyway, all right, let's keep going. You know, I don't know. I have no clue how long our little our little uh, thing took. So I don't know how long we should go today. This could get interesting. Let's see here. Let's move on. Nell DeBell writes in. Now, if, for those who are our uh, regular listeners, uh, they'll know the, uh, hang on just a second. Uh, they'll know Nelda from a couple weeks ago. She had called in and uh, left a message. Okay, so uh, hang on just a second. I do want to go, before we go into Nelda Bell's uh, comment, I want to, uh, I want to, address something in the chat room. Joseph says prohibiting wine is a form of legalism and control, but for others it is a uh, it is to promote temperance. Yeah, I mean I here's the thing is that I'm not I think that uh anytime that you have someone saying if you drink alcohol you're not saved. If that's what the congregation is saying, uh you might have bigger issues than Right, right. That that's a big flag. Yeah, yeah. You have bigger issues than um, than simply not drinking wine. Now, look, I'll be completely frank with you. I the only the only uh, interaction that I've had with with people who are teetotalers, legit, like we don't drink wine, teetotalers, are my relatives. That's my favorite word for ta for Caleb, by the way. Teetotaler. I know mine is weights and measures. Weights Caleb, and measures. Caleb, it's teetotalers. Teetotalers. Uh, yeah. Someone but, needs to pull all the times Caleb's ever said that and just string them together. Teetotaler. Teetotaler. Teetotalers. So the the point here is is that my family. <laughs> I grew up in a family, not my immediate family, but I grew up with extended family that were teetotalers and they uh they would not have anything to do with a table that had any alcohol on it now with that said they did not think that if you drank wine you were damned to hell now i'm sure that, that was reserved that was reserved for smokers <laughs> exactly so so i'm sure that there are those groups out there what i'm saying is is that you know i've been to congregations i've so i'll give you a good example 
Uh, there is a congregation that my, that the group that I co-pastor, we meet at a church and the church that we meet at, they are, they have had a extensive ministry in, uh, in, in rehab for addicts and alcoholics. And when we signed the lease with them in the lease, they said, there's no alcohol whatsoever in any, there are no exceptions to alcohol on the premises of this church. And we wrote back in negotiations and said, what about Passover? Can we have wine at our Passover table for ceremonial use only? And they wrote back and said, absolutely not. If you want to meet here, then there is no wine allowed. Now they didn't say, if you drink at all, you're going to hell. But my point is, is that since we agreed to that, we're not going to be sneaking bottles of wine in on Passover. We're going to move to grape juice. That's all there is to it. And so that's my point is that you don't, you know, in those kind of situations. And if I went to that church and they said, we don't, you know, as a congregation, we don't drink alcohol. That's, you know, that's part of being a member here. I, w- I mean, I would have to ascribe to that. I was just thinking of you guys and had a question then I got on YouTube and you were on live. I know this is probably, it does not pertain to the discussion, but do you know anything about the Kabbalistic pra- practice of Kafizat Haderich? No, I do not. I would have to study that. Okay. Coffee, Kafizat yeah, well, I like my espresso like the next guy, I tell you that. Okay, let's move on. Nelda Bell. Here we go, Nelda. Uh, Nelda writes in and she says this, First, thank you for answering my question concerning Romans 11. If you do not remember, Nelda wrote in and asked about what uh, what does it mean that the Gentiles would provoke the Jews to jealousy? Okay. Uh, I do agree that looking Jewish, quote marks, looking Jewish, wearing kippah, etc., is not going to provoke jealousy. I do believe that the church keeping Torah will provoke jealousy. Yeah, I think a genuine relationship with Christ is what will provoke gen- uh, jealousy, and that includes sanctification under the Torah. So, yes. I do believe that this is what prophecy is saying, that in those last days, the church, quote unquote, will be keeping Torah. This leads into my husband, Jim's question. Hello, Jim. He was reading Zechariah 14 and wanted your thoughts on verses 16 through 19. The commentary in his Bible, the NLT, Life Application Study Bible. What is the NLT? NLT New Living New Trans- Living. I think it's New Living Translation. Yeah. I would probably think about switching over to an ESV there, Jim, or an NASB, or even a even a Net Bible. Uh, actually, the NLT—that's right—the NLT was giving away free Bibles at uh, ETS, and they had this cool. Actually, I gotta admit, this was really cool. They had this thing you would pair an app on your phone to the to this code in the Bible in the beginning of the Bible, and then as you were reading. Um, there were all these, uh, you know, like uh, essentially footnote things and you could click on them and in your app would pop up all this different commentary and all this different stuff. And that, that I thought was a really cool idea. And there was just like thousands of pages of commentary that in this, in this app, it was really cool. Anyway, uh, the translation itself was dicey at best. Anyway, um, states this is the only okay so let's move back the commentary in his NLT states this is the only feast we will keep in the last days as all others have been fulfilled by the Messiah and the giving of the Holy Spirit the commentary states this quote the festival of shelters is the only festival still appropriate during the reign of Messiah the Passover being fulfilled in Christ's death the day of atonement is in uh, is acceptable of Christ's salvation and the festival of harvest is his resurrection and Shavuot is the harvest of souls for the Lord end quote. Okay. Uh, I disagree with this thoroughly and I'll give you a couple of reasons why. First of all, and this is more of a anecdote, I guess the festivals are pictures of what Christ has done and will do. That does not mean that once the event actually takes place, they no longer are pictures. We look at pictures to remember something or to point to something, a a moment in time. And so I think that the picture of Passover wonderfully looks back at the cross. And before the cross, it looked forward to the cross. So it does this. It's a picture pointing at one specific moment in time. 
Beyond that, we have uh, various places in Scripture that talk about the festivals in the coming uh, and uh, millennial reign. So, for instance, in the end of Isaiah, it says from new moon to new moon and Sabbath to Sabbath. Likewise, Christ says in uh, Luke 22, he says, I will not eat of it. What is it? I believe that uh, within the Greek, it's quite clear that it is the Passover meal. I will not eat of it or the Passover lamb, I should say. I think it's actually the lamb. I will not eat of it again until I am with you in the kingdom. What does that mean? I think it means the millennial reign and or even heaven. Uh, So... uh, I believe that uh, right there is enough proof to say that at least Passover is and the Festival of Booths are celebrated in the millennial reign. And uh, I believe that uh, if you're going to take two of them, why would you throw out three? The other three makes very little sense to me. Rob? Yeah, I just looked that up. So Luke 22, right? 16, I shall never eat it again. And then Luke 22, 18, I will not drink the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom comes. So, yeah, that seems like a... Oh, is it fruit of the vine? I will not drink drink of the fruit. Yeah. Yeah, so we have both the eating and the drinking. Yeah, but that fruit fruit of the vine has to be a reference to Passover, and the reason why is because he drinks wine after that. Oh, yeah, yeah. He says, I earnestly desire to eat this Pascha. Yeah. So um, eating the Pascha involves lamb and unleavened bread. Um, so have you ever, this is a total, you know, me being uh, spaghetti brain, but I actually have talked to people that they think that Jesus was a vegetarian and that he was against animal sacrifice. And so his whole teaching was contrary to, have, have you ever heard it that? Doesn't, that people, it doesn't work. Well, of course it doesn't work. <laughs> I'm just saying I've it's like popular pictures of Jesus in like the new age realm. Like Jesus was yeah. this vegetarian Gandhi kind of guy. Have right. you seen those things? Yeah. I'm just like oh yeah. he only ate raw foods, man. Yeah, well he ate broiled fish too. Um so but anyway, that was a total uh me changing the subject. We call those squirrel moments. Okay. Um, but but yeah, that this the passage you bring up from Luke 22 is clear. Yeshua is looking forward to not only is he looking forward to it, but he's teaching his disciples to look forward to it, to a future Passover celebration that will right. commemorate his work. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Right. This is. Um, you know, is there going to be a last Passover where after that there will never be another Passover? I don't know, man. I don't know how. I, I That's above my pay grade. Like I, I, But I know that Yeshua, it, it, he says when the kingdom comes, there's going to be a Passover celebration, not just tabernacles. Right. Oh, I and like do- you quote, you know, from Sabbath to Sabbath, etc., I can't do this, can I? Okay, I can't. I was going to bring up our uh, somebody in the chat room is uh, is attempting to go on into some very interesting uh, topics, and I just said uh, you got to stay on on topic here. And so uh, this reminds me that we should tell people if you want to talk about something that we're not talking about on this show currently, uh, you can do so by uh, shooting us an email: chegg at torresource.com. It's C-H-E-G-G at torresource.com. We look at the at the uh, emails, and oftentimes, actually, I was going through old emails today. Oftentimes, what'll happen is um, we will, I will get an email. It'll kind of be uh, passed over, and then I'll come back to it uh, simply because sometimes they don't fit into what we're the theme of what we're talking about for a week or two, and sometimes. To be completely honest, we just forget that they're there after we've passed over them. So I apologize for all that. Anyway, okay, um, let's keep moving on. Uh, we have two from Paul, so uh, we'll do them in a row. Paul says, "Caleb, could you please clarify what you mean by disagreement in application, but not a disagreement in law, or something like that?" Yeah. I can clarify what I mean by that. I thought, uh, yeah, I, I'll clarify. So 
What I mean is that if you ask almost any Christian, and I, this is starting to change in our modern time, especially with the liberal and the liberal in, in not only in like, I'm not just talking about liberal in terms of like politics, but when you, when we think liberal, I think of like dyed hair and like pro LGBTQ. But anyway, uh, I mean like liberal in theology. So we're starting to see a move away from, um, what I would consider conservative theology and that would be adherence to the law. Um, and so, so for instance, let me, let me give some examples. So I would consider someone like a John MacArthur to be conservative in theology. If you talk to John MacArthur and ask him, you know, what is the duty of a Christian? I think that he would say to keep God's law. I mean, he talks about that. He mentions like keeping God's law throughout his commentaries. And someone like John Piper would be the same. Now, if you if you really nail down with these with these gentlemen, things like keeping the Sabbath, keeping the festivals, or keeping a kosher diet, then all of a sudden we get a different answer. It's no, that's been fulfilled in Christ. So it sounds to many people within the Torah movement like these men are speaking out of two sides of their mouth. And maybe in a way that they are. Okay, I understand that. But ultimately what we're talking about is if you ask them to go down that road and what that means, what they're going to, what I've heard John MacArthur specifically say and him specifically talk on is the notion that the ceremonial law has been done away with. It's part of what he would consider the old covenant. And uh, so what that means is that the new covenant is new in Christ, but that those things, we still actually keep those things, but they're just in a different way. So for instance, the Sabbath is kept in Christ. We find our rest in Christ. So it's not that the Sabbath has been done away with or something like that. It's that the physical uh, act of keeping the Sabbath has been nailed to the cross, whereas we rest, we have our our true Sabbath rest in Christ. And so uh, even people like R.C. Sproul, uh, who's now with the Lord, he talked about the fact that the Sabbath should be kept. He was a Sabbatarian. He just said that it had been moved to Sunday. And then there's someone like me who says, no, 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 the Sabbath is a, is part of the eternal covenant. And as all the covenants are, but, but that means that, uh, the Saturday Sabbath should be kept today. And so right there with three different, uh, three are three different viewpoints. You have a John Piper, who's going to say that the Sabbath has been nailed to the cross and that we keep our Sabbath spiritually. Now that is a difference in application. He's not saying that the Sabbath is that, that God just is done away with the Sabbath. He's saying it's, it's internal. It's the Sabbath is internal. Now, then you have someone like RC Sproul who said, well, the Sabbath should be kept, but, but it's been moved. It's no longer on Saturday. It's on Sunday. Once again, we have a difference in application. We don't have a, a we don't have RC Sproul saying, well, the Sabbath is just nonsense and useless. No one should do it. He says now it's on um, that we are now uh, doing it on on Sunday. And then you have someone like me who says, no, 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 the application hasn't changed. The application is exactly the same. It's a picture that points to Christ. And so it's on Saturday and that's when we should keep it. So all of this to say you have three different um, people who are essentially saying that the Sabbath should be kept and is kept by believers. However, the application of how we are to do that is is changed within all three of those different views. And Lee in the chat room says, John Piper openly says we are not under the Ten Commandments. It's just something nice to hang on the wall. I heard him say that. Yeah, I mean, that that's probably true. Uh, what does he mean by not under? I don't know. They, and I'm not trying to defend John Piper's, um, John Piper's theology on this. Ultimately, I think that uh, if you were to push John Piper on questions of morality, you know, what gives us morality, he would, I think, have to go back to the Bible. And I think he does go back to the Bible. And so, so then the question is, is, well, then what's the application? Is the application that we are no longer under a specific law? And I, this is really, we could talk about this for a, uh, an entire episode. I think this is really where the Christian church as a whole has gone wrong. The notion that you can separate the, the covenants. The covenants are all part of one. In other words, the Mosaic covenant, the Davidic covenant, the new covenant, they're all part of one wheel with Christ as the hub. You can't take one out. If you take one out, it's like taking a chunk of the wheel out. And now you don't, now you don't have a wheel anymore. It doesn't run anymore. Now it's going to crumble under the weight of whatever is on top of it. Okay. I've talked for a really long time. Rob? I'm really enjoying it. <laughs> 
Do you? Um, I mean, what do you think in terms? Of, that's how I've used the the term of application versus practice. And maybe practice is the wrong word, but the notion that like the Christian church as a whole just thinks that the Sabbath has been done away with or believes that the, that the festivals have been done away with. So, I mean, or it shouldn't even be that. It should be that the law has been done away with. So that's what I'm really pushing against. What I'm pushing against is this notion that the Christian church says that the law has been done away with. Even someone like, like John Piper, who might say the Ten Commandments are, are just something to hang on your wall, Okay, if that's the case, then then we have to ask Mr. Piper, Dr. Piper, where, where his where where his notion of morality comes from. And so I think that he's going to say ultimately he's going to get back to the law of God. Now he might think that that application has changed to the law of Christ. Yeah, you, we have to ask you know what the core is. What does it mean that I'm a new creation in Messiah? What does it mean that even though I'm still in this body, I I'm a participant of his resurrection life. And how do I understand that in terms that my new life in Messiah, in, as it's informed by the scriptures, the holy scriptures? And for me, and I think Caleb, for you, and, and what Torah resources have uh, been consistent on from the get-go for how many 20 plus years is that the structures provided as part of the revelation of God's word uh, that support a person growing in confidence, in love, in um, loving kindness, in patience, etc. All the qualities, all the fruits of the spirit, the, the structures that uphold that lifestyle are are uh, rooted in the, the calendar that God gives in the Torah. And that every year we, re, we, we rehearse, the, someone mentioned in the, the chat room a one, one Torah catechism. It's, it's the feast cycle. The, the catechism <clears throat> is already revealed because we, even Israel, even redeemed Israel from Egypt was told time and time again, uh, the Lord gave these tie downs because you will remember that you were a slave in Egypt. In other words, our new creation life, our new, our new walk of, of, of as redeemed souls does not forget. And that, and Caleb mentioned this in a different context earlier saying, look, I'm just as much as a, as a human as every human on the planet. Uh, and I don't forget that fact. I don't forget that that I'm just a human like every other human. I don't have anything above any other human. All I but what I do have is I've taken hold of this grace. Or God had it better, as Paul would say, better. God has taken a hold of you by grace. And that and to understand and grow is is in God's wisdom, already provided for us by the catechism that he gives. And we, we rehearse this lesson every year of the, the redemption, the giving of the law, the, you know, the, the Day of Atonement and Sukkot. And they, you can't just take one of these feasts out <clears throat> and have it have its full meaning outside right. of the, the whole story of salvation history. Exactly. And that's, that was another thing, back to the, yeah. the point, someone's study Bible said that Sukkot is the only thing that's celebrated. That that would just be a silly say, well, all we celebrate is Pentecost now. Or all we celebrate is unleavened bread. Or all we celebrate is the Day of Atonement. Yeah, it's that's like, a great a point. Each of these are part of a story that Israel, the people of God, is to remember. Why? Because God knows our hearts. It's like the commandment with the tzitzit. Why? The, the commandment of the tzitzit is, is because our hearts are always... In this world, we're drawn away. Our eyes are drawn away, and we need we need structures because God designed us. He knows what we need. We need structures that that bring our attention back, so we remember our priorities. And um, there's the church that tries to to abandon all that ends up going well. There's just two poles. You know, there's we go from Christmas to Easter. Christmas to Easter. And because the centrality of Christ, which is good, the centrality of Yeshua is a good, obviously a good thing. Um, but but 
you know, telling the story of Yeshua as, as just, you know, Christmas to Easter every year, it's, it, it is, uh, it falls short. Yeah. It's a short sighted. There's a lot of, I mean, the central, I'm not disputing the centrality of Messiah. I mean, at all, but we want the context of that centrality and it's broader and, and it's in the full council of, of the scriptures. And that's where we're coming from at Tor resource. So, um, Michael in the chat room says, Caleb, the idea that the biblical covenants from one collective covenant sounds consistent with the covenant of grace within covenant theology. Was that your intention? It does sound consistent with the covenant of grace within covenant theology. And I understand the, but I reject uh, covenant theology because of the notion that ultimately within covenant theology, uh, certain covenants basically become null and void. So those who believe in covenant theology believe that the law of Moses is no longer applicable today. And I is think that it, Caleb sharp I am going to need some sharpening on this cuz it's been a long time. Is that is that to be thought of as similar to dispensational? Cuz dispensational <sighs> of course also has this this particular era from this time to this time there was a certain governing um legislative kind of uh, order from God. And then that finished and then he instituted another one. Um, so, so the way that I've understood covenant theology, and to be honest with you, every time covenant theology is brought up, I have to go back and look at my notes to remember exactly what covenant theology, uh, taught and, and then how it all, why I'm, I don't use the term covenant theology. The way that I understand it is that from the very beginning, God laid out all of his covenants under one covenant of grace, which is the message of the Messiah, which runs through every single covenant. Now, the great thing that the covenant theology did, if I'm remembering correctly, is that covenant theology said that at the backbone, the backbone of all scripture that runs through all scripture is the covenants. In that, I completely agree. Covenant theology was the first to put forward the notion that the that every single book of the Bible is unified through the covenants. So in that I agree. I think that I think that that it, they hit the nail on the head with that one. Where I disagree with covenant theology is the notion that um, certain parts of the covenants go away when new parts or when new covenants are instituted. Gotcha. Okay, gotcha. So um, and whether or not it, uh, I don't. And we think, know we know from Hebrews the Epistle of Hebrews says. If yeah. Yeshua was a priest on earth, he wouldn't be a priest because right. he's not a son of Aaron. Right. Right. So the idea is that he must be, you know, I think it says something like, uh, well, we know that the Lord sprung from uh, Judah, not from the sons of Aaron. Right. And so the implication there is the author says, yeah, there's an earthly priesthood that endures. And yes, Yeshua is a Cohen, but but it's not of the order of of the Levitical priests. So, but the idea, the implication there is that it, it hasn't been ceased, right? It hasn't been done. The Levitical order had not been done away. Right. Yep. Uh, so I want to go back to, we have one more question, uh, from, uh, Paul and then we'll call it a day. Uh, and Lee says covenant theology is like Legos built on top of one another. Yeah. And I think of the covenants as a wheel. I like Lego. Oh boy. I Come on over to my house. We're about to get, yeah. Uh, just watch where you step. Oh my word. <laughs> it's, it's unbelievable. Anyway. Okay. Have let's you go. stepped on a Lego in the middle of the night? Oh, I'm a parent. Of course I have. Um, okay. Paul writes again. He says, Caleb, I thought about a month ago. You told me everyone at, at uh, Messiah matters is Calvinist. Everyone at Torah resource. Yeah. Now you say here, you don't agree with Calvin, which is it? Do you already have a show on this? Um, so when we talk about, uh, when we talk about being Calvinist, this is one of the reasons that we tend not to use the term Calvinists. We use the term doctrines of grace. And the reason we do that is because we don't agree with everything that Calvin says. Now, when we refer to ourselves as Calvinists, what we're talking about is tulip, the right. five points of, of Calvinism. And, and, and we're saying we're not Armenian. I mean, it's, yeah. it, it's understandable. I mean, it's the same as like, am I a Christian or not kind of thing. I mean, there's terms that, depending on context. So, yeah, we should nail that down. Contextually, we're not Arminian. We should say, we are, I should we say are this. Pro -tulip. 
Yeah, we should. I should say this too, though. I am not, you know, I am not of the opinion that God ordains everything. And I know that that uh, there are people gasping right now, out there. What I mean by that is this: I don't believe that God preordains sin, as per the 1689 Baptist Confession. And so I, uh, I do not believe that God preordains sin. I believe that it's kind of like, it's kind of like what's a good analogy? It's like my kids playing with Play-Doh. When my kids play with Play-Doh, they play with Play-Doh. Now, when if they say I want this Play-Doh to be rock hard, what do they do? They leave it out. They leave it out to its own de- uh, devices because when left out, what happens? It will naturally harden. But if they keep it, if they put it into something, if they act upon it, then it will stay nice and soft. And so I believe that uh, when we sin, God basically says, hands off, I'll let them do what their nature would normally allow them to do, which is sin. And this is how we have both, in my opinion, this is how we have Pharaoh hardening his own heart, while at the same time, it's saying that God hardened his heart. God took hands off and allowed him to do what he would naturally do, which is have a hard heart and act wickedly towards Israel. Does that make sense? So in in my opinion, uh, that is how I can say that I don't believe that God preordains sin. At the times when we sin, God has left us to our own devices to do as we will do, and then he works around our sin. That's... I, and as every Calvinist has to say at some point, I don't understand that. I just believe it. Right. So um, and that is not what Calvin believed. So there is a disagreement with Calvin. Calvin believed that everything was preordained. Everything was preordained. Now, I don't I haven't read enough of Calvin. Um, so I'm kind of talking out of ignorance here. I don't know how Calvin uh, then uh, said that God didn't preordain sin. To be honest with you, I don't even know if Calvin said that. I assume Calvin said that God did not preordain sin. This, and this is, I know I'm on a rabbit trail here. That's okay. I'm enjoying it. This is where, this is actually where I I think that James White has really uh, not done very well. James White, for those who don't know, has been kind of the... uh, the Calvinist debater, he debates people on Calvinism. And I think that, uh, I think that, uh, he has really fallen short in attempting to say how God does not pre, uh, how, how God does not ordain sin, which he affirms that God does not ordain sin while at the same time saying that God preordains everything. And he has not been able, in my opinion, to satisfactory, uh, that's not even a word to, to, uh, explain in a satisfying way. There we go. Uh, how God could do both. Tulip pre- perseverance of the Zadikim. Uh, no, the Zadikim is a very specific, the Zadik uh, is a very specific theological understanding within Chabad or not Chabad within the uh, Hasidic Judaism. It has nothing to do with just righteous people. Caleb, isn't that just regular Calvinism? Uh, Lee, I believe that it is regular Calvinism. And actually, this is one of the places where I think that Dr. Flowers has actually gotten uh, Calvinism wrong because I think he's taking a traditionalist, like the like what we would consider maybe a traditionalist Calvinistic approach as opposed to um, not. Uh, Calvin believed in determinism from what I've heard. Last Friday, he did a debate with uh, Stratton. Yes, I know. Topic was whether Molinism is biblical. And uh, Joseph says, ha ha, he's, he's, uh, he was joking. Fair enough, Joseph, I apologize. Um, yeah, I haven't watched the Stratton debate yet, and uh, I'd be interested to watch that because uh, I will show my ignorance here. I am not quite sure the difference between Molinism and uh, uh, what does he call it? What does Flowers call it? Pro- provisionism. Um, so I will, I will have to go and watch that debate, and I will do it very soon. All right, I think that's it. I'm gonna to try to get uh, I'm gonna to try to get a new computer before next week. <laughs> uh, yeah. Anything else to say before we go, Rob? No. All right. Well, that was easy. Uh, we hope that this conversation has done at least one thing, and that is to glorify our great God and Savior Yeshua the Messiah. Why? You know why? Because Messiah matters. <laughs> <laughs>